Well, we're going to finish up our uh, study of Colossians this morning, and I hope that uh, it has been an encouragement for you as we've gone through this uh, wonderful letter from Paul uh, to the Colossian church. And I hope that you're staying alert in prayer. If you'll remember that from last week, um, that would be one of the takeaways that I hope that you have from our study. I know the Thomason family uh, talked about that this last week. And so, Jonathan, or John, what was, uh, what was A? Acknowledge His presence. And I hope that you do recognize that God is always with us, that He never leaves us, He never forsakes us. He wants us to, L, listen for His voice. Because He tells us He's the Good Shepherd. And we are His sheep, and we hear Him, and we know, and He knows us by name. And that we should expect Him to show us the way. The passage that I think of is in Ephesians, for we were created for good works that He prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. He's prepared the way. Look and expect to see His hand in your life. And um, R stands for what, John? Reject the world. Right. John tells us, do not love the world or the things of the world. And then finally, T is what, John? Take steps of faith. Isn't that good? Are you all impressed? He's done a great job. But I do pray that that would be the pattern of your life, that you would stay alert in those ways. As we finish up our study, there is a long list of names as Paul closes out this letter to the Colossians. And I want you to know that with each name he mentions, there's a story. A story that his readers would have known about the names he mentions. And they would represent God's redemptive work in the lives of people. Not unlike the names of the people in this room this morning. Because with each of your names is a story. And for many of you, there are stories of God's redemptive work. And this is what we do at the end of a series, is we take an opportunity to hear some of those stories. I call them stories of transformation because they are evidences of God's work in the lives of His people. And every time we hear those stories, it encourages us because it reminds us that God is always with us He's always at work, and lives are being changed as we put our trust in Him. So before we hear those stories, I want to, and I didn't plan it this way, but it just worked out nicely. If you would, turn to Colossians chapter 4, and look at a few verses with me as I introduce our time. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, as to all my affairs, Tychicus. Our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord will bring you information. For I have sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. So Paul mentions two people, Tychicus. And Onesimus. And with each of those names was a story, and a story that the readers would have known when their names were mentioned. If you look at Tychicus, he was mentioned about five times in the New Testament. There's rarely anything of great detail said about him, but we can put the pieces together and know quite a bit. One of the things that we know is that he is from Ephesus. He probably grew up in that town and was likely converted by Paul in one of the early missionary journeys. Or one of his missionary journeys. And from that time on, he began a walk of faith and a fellowship with Paul in the work of service in his ministry. Tychicus was the one who was carrying this letter to the Colossians. And along with that, he was also carrying a letter to the Ephesians. And along with that, he was also carrying a letter to Philemon, an individual, which you will understand more about here in a little bit. So Tychicus was somebody who kind of worked behind the scenes. We don't hear his name very often, but every time he shows up, he's doing the same kind of work, partnering with Paul, delivering news and walking through life of ministry, very devoted as a follower of Christ. He is somebody who has known the Lord for a while and has grown to be strong in his faith. And the reason I know that to be the case is because he's endured some some difficult things in partnership with Paul in ministry. He's from Ephesus, and you'll remember one of the things that took place in Ephesus was 
the silversmiths got really upset whenever Paul was preaching about Jesus Christ and people were turning from the gods and goddesses of the mythology that ruled them to put their faith in the one true God through faith in Jesus Christ. And they were losing business, quite literally. So they gathered all these silversmiths together in this trade and they essentially ran Paul out of town. And very likely, Tychicus was one of those individuals who felt their wrath as well. But he continued in ministry. We see him showing up time and time again. In fact, you'll remember that Paul is gathering uh, donations from the Gentile churches to take it to Jerusalem as an encouragement to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ. And as he does so, he takes seven men with him. One of them was Tychicus. And he went with him to Jerusalem to deliver this uh, money. And we know that it was in this trip that Paul was then arrested, right? And, And taken captive and transferred to Rome where he appeals to Caesar or has the intent to do so. And along the way, Tychicus is one of the men who travels right beside Paul. That included the journey where there was a shipwreck and difficult trials along the way. But there he was, right beside his friend and brother in Christ. He was with him while he was in prison. Because Paul tells him, he'll, he'll tell you about how I'm doing and the affairs that are going on here. Tychicus was a man who knew the Lord who worked behind the scenes, who was a faithful follower of Christ and had several years of walking with the Lord. But it also says that there's another individual, Onesimus, who would be joining him. Now, they would have known about Onesimus as well, but when his name came up, it would be in less redeeming terms. See, Onesimus worked for a man by the name of Philemon, to which the letter was written by Paul. Philemon was known to be a good Christian man who treated his workers with fairness and kindness. But apparently Onesimus took advantage of this kindness. He stole from Philemon and fled for safe hiding in Rome, where he happens to run into Paul, who led him to faith in Christ. And through that, taught him what it meant to be a follower of Christ. And then after having done so, he sends Onesimus with Tychicus to go back to Philemon to seek forgiveness and to make restitution for the things that he had done. He was taking steps of faith. He was new in his faith. And all he was trying to do was the next right thing. This morning, you're going to hear from people that I think represent what these two individuals stand for. You're going to hear from Ron and Stephanie Miller who really are beginning their journey of faith together, just trying to do the next right thing. And, and I just want you to know, as, and I've told them this, as I've spent time with people in, in, in different situations, uh, they are a couple that gives me great encouragement. Ron Miller is in a Bible study on Sunday nights with me, and he is a sponge soaking up every word, wanting to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be faithful, doing the next right thing. And what they do here this morning is a step of faith. It is the next right thing for them as they share their testimony with you. And then along with them is Mr. Courtney, a man who's been walking with the Lord for quite some time, often behind the scenes, uh, not up front, but very faithful to serve the Lord. But he'll tell you his life hasn't been perfect. There have been things along the way that he's learned from, but he continues to be faithful to seek the Lord each day. In addition to sharing a little bit of his story of faith, I've asked him to to talk to us about things that he sees with the college students he visits with each week in the coffee shop. I asked him, I said, would you tell us from your perspective what may be some of the biggest distractions that are preventing people of that generation from turning and following Christ. And so he's going to tell us about that from his perspective. So we've got some great stories of transformation. To me, this is the, the exact way Paul closes his letter is what we're doing this morning. It's because he's telling about people's lives that have been changed and transformed by the truth of Christ. Every name has a story, and you'll hear those stories this morning. So let me pray for them, and Ron and Stephanie, if you want to come up. Father, we do just lift this time to you, and we pray for these stories of transformation, that they ultimately exalt your name for your work in the lives of these people to bring 
glory to you for your redemption, your love, your grace and mercy that showers upon us. Like Paul, as he closes his letter, may these stories encourage this church to walk faithfully trusting in you. We lift them up to you in this time as well. Amen. Well, good morning. Oh, this is pretty intimidating. <laughs> uh, first, I'd like to introduce ourselves. My name is, is Ron Miller, and this is my lovely wife, Stephanie. Um, we've been married for, uh, it'll be a year in April. Uh, we have a six-month-old daughter named Hadley, and uh, we've been at Melanie Park for almost a year um, in January. Uh, in that time, we've, we've really become a, a, a journey um, not individually, but as a family, um, to strengthen our household and, and walk with our Lord. Um, and kind of this morning we'd like to share with you uh, where we stand as a Christian household and, and kind of where we came from um, and where we're at now. Um, so I'll begin. Um, my story kind of begins right after high school. Um, I had graduated high school and left for Army basic training. Um, I put a lot of focus in that. Prior to that, I was I was uh, very active in in, in church, and um, once I once I kind of left the home and and was out on my own, and uh, I saw a lot of success in my military career early on. Uh, I I knew God was with me, but it was almost as if I didn't feel that I needed Him um, anymore. It was it was that I was out on my own. I could I could do it on my own. Um, I continued this way. Uh, for years, uh, just just focusing on myself, uh, focusing on my career and, and what the next step that I thought was good for me at the time, um, consciously ignoring the tug on my heart uh, that I, I, I always kind of kept in the back of my mind that I, I knew I was there. Um, it was as if I, I kind of just kept my head down and, and not paying attention to life as, as it went by or uh, just kind of had my blinders on, um, going from step to step, doing whatever felt right at the time. Um, then I met Steph. Uh, it, it didn't take long um, after I met her until I realized that there was a, a bigger picture to life that I was missing, um, that maybe, uh, possibly, it's not all about me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, it was at that point, it was as if I kind of stopped and, and looked up and, and saw that you know, I'd, I'd missed a lot already. Um, there, there was something there was something big that was that was absent from my life. Um, it, it had been so long that I'd focused on myself that I really couldn't put my finger on it. And looking back now, it looks it looks almost uh, like it's you know yelling at me. But at the time, I couldn't really figure it out. And and so um, Steph had brought up her desire uh, about that time to start looking for a church family, and it was like that puzzle piece fit. That's that's really what I was I was missing during that time. Um, and it was kind of, it, it saddened me at the time as well because I realized at that point whenever she had to bring up to me that she wanted to start going to church um, and find a good church family that, that I had neglected that part not only of my life but that I had neglected um, a spiritual relationship with, with her as well. And that we were on uh, two complete different paths. Uh, it, was, it was almost at, at that time I, could, I realized that, you know, this, this wasn't going to work out. Uh, and, all we have to do is look forward and see if that we're if we're going in two different directions um, spiritually, then we're never going to end up at the same place, and and that wasn't acceptable. So we began looking for churches um, about two years before we got married. Um, we would bounce, you know, from church to church. We we had something specific in mind. We started off and and you know went to some bigger sized churches that it, to us it really felt like it was uh, it was more about the the uh, entertainment value, and, and it spoke to us on, on an external um, nature, but we really didn't feel touched, and we didn't feel like we, we belonged in, in a family. Um, so we got discouraged. Uh, we ended up taking significant breaks. Um, for me, it was as if, you know, we'd take one step forward, and then I'd get discouraged again and, and take two steps back, and we'd go months without trying or, or even uh, concerned with it. Uh, it was really It was really Steph who... Um, kept us active in that look and, and her persistence in, in uh, saying, well, let's, let's try again. Let's, let's go to a new church. Let's 
try to meet new people. Um, I really want this. I'm, I'm really, I'm really needing this. And uh, and so we did. Um, it wasn't long in, until uh, Adam and, and Becca Snell uh, invited us to the young couples group, um, and we were we were blessed by uh, meeting Carrie and Sherry Gilbert. Um, that first time we came to the to Melanie Park, we we realized this was our this is what we'd been looking for. Um, we were recently married, and I knew a direction that I wanted to take my my family, and I knew what we needed to do, but I really couldn't put the pieces together and, and figure out where to go next. Um, and we, we were to me, I felt I felt lost, even though I was here. I still felt like, okay, how am I going to get there? I see I see you know Carrie and Sherry, and, and they've got a a, a wonderful Christian family, and that's that's my goal. But the in between was still was still real cloudy. Um, you know, they they offered uh, just a few weeks after we started coming to Millennium Park. They they offered to meet with me and Steph and and talk to us um, just about our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with each other. Um, this was this was what I needed. I, I think we jumped at the opportunity. I don't even know if it took. Uh, a full 10 seconds before we said, yo, we'll be there, what day, what time? And I think that kind of caught them off guard because they're like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, now, that's fine. So we set up a time, we started meeting with them um, on Tuesday evenings and, and where uh, this was real, this was kind of a turning point for me because that was where Steph really first expressed her desire for me to lead the family, uh, vocalized it. She She flat out told me that I want you to be in charge of the family and lead us through this step, and which is great to hear, but it's also scary because, you know, now I now the responsibility is on me. Now it's my my turn to to step up and and do do it correctly. So, um, I have uh, been in a, a a discipleship with Todd that we're going over a, a book called Not a Fan, and it's it's really opening my eyes that there's so much more to learn. Um, and uh, and I guess you know, it kind of leads into where. For me, my relationship with the Lord has been very on again, off again. I've been going to several different churches my entire life. I've never really had one church home. I would find different friends to connect with, and, you know, I always felt the desire to learn more and be a part of a relationship with Jesus Christ. I just kind of didn't really know where to start. Um, While in college, I felt this tug in my, my heart to be more connected, but I felt that every time I was stressed or there was some kind of struggle in my life, that's when I would lean on God the most because I needed him. But when I was happy and things were going my way, I pulled back. I was separate from him, independent. I didn't really feel like I needed him. Um, The older I got, the more I recognized that in myself. And it it really was kind of eye-awakening, eye-opening, sorry, um, I've been participating in several Bible studies for a while, and I felt like as I was going through the motions with those Bible studies that I wasn't necessarily giving 100% of myself. At that time, sure, I thought I was, but reflecting back, I now know that I didn't give everything I probably could have. And then meeting Ron was really kind of a whole other experience for me. I really felt like God placed him in my life for a reason, um, kind of got the ball rolling on my spiritual growth and, and my desire just peaked. Um, the prospect of becoming a wife um, and loving somebody, I wasn't really you know, sure how to do that apart by myself. I feel like he deserves so much more, and it was just really confusing, to say the least. Um, so we both knew we had this mutual love for the Lord and, and wanted our spiritual growth to continue. We just kind of didn't know how. And like Ron said, we, we searched for churches and, and got discouraged and really just kind of had to keep starting over. And, and it was me who was like, Look, I really would like to do this. I, I kept pushing and kept wanting it because I was feeling this tug from the Lord deep inside me. And I've known about Melanie Park for a while because we're friends with the Wises. And um, so I knew that they attended this church, just didn't really. And the girls that I have Bible study with all go to this church. So it was kind of one of those things that just felt like a natural fit. Like, well, let's go try this out. Maybe this will work. And from day one, after the young couples class, it was 
pretty much a whole other story for Ron and I. Um, we really connected with the Gilberts. Um, to say the least, they've been life-changing mentors to us, um, a very huge blessing. I have noticed a great deal of change in myself and in Ron, mainly in Ron. We're, just, we're learning so much coming to church every week. We're participating more than we ever probably thought we would, um, and it, it's just been an amazing experience. And <laughs> Ron has um, stepped up as a husband and as the leader in our spiritual growth. And for me, because I get so bogged down with my career and being a new mom, it really helps having him take on that role and kind of, you know, take charge with it. But I really feel like the relationships we have here at Melanie Park and the mentors and the people that we surround ourselves with is really what's keeping us on this path. Um, Because by no means am I done learning. I have years and worlds to go to get to where I want to be. Or I mean, I'll never stop knowing any learning But I really feel like that Melanie Park and the members here have really kind of helped us get to where we are now. Definitely. And and that kind of, you know, where where we are now is in relation to to where we began. Um, I was trying to think of a a good way that we can kind of put in perspective. And and one of my hobbies is hiking, so I'm going to relate it to hiking. Um, You know, when, when you have new hikers, you can always tell because they have either too little or too much gear and they don't necessarily know how to use it the correct way and it takes a long time it's very frustrating to um, pack up the gear and and to use it to help you get from your one step to another Um, on the other hand experienced hikers you know they know exactly what they need to get from the beginning to the end to to their final destination Uh, they know how to use it they know how to use it for for what it's designed for They've collected their, you know, their gear over years and years of tough hikes, and and so in that analogy, I think me and Steph are really just opening our Christmas presents of gear. Um, you know, we're we're each time we come to church, we we discover something new. You know, we we open up um, a new box that that contains something that we not might not know how to use at this exact time, but you know, it, it'll go into our our toolbox, and and we'll learn how to apply it to our lives as we continue this this journey and and that's what's you know that's kind of where we're at right now is is that we're we're receiving that new equipment for our walk with with the Lord and and uh um Todd had had a great analogy that's that stuck with me and and I still think back to it constantly is um you know on on a hike uh it's difficult as it is but in 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 our walk with the Lord, it's, it's as if we're walking in the dark. And and my, for example, my knowing where we want to go, um, I can have an end destination in mind. But if I can't see my next step, then uh, I'll I'll stumble and and fall all over the place. And but God provides that that lamp at our feet um, as like a headlamp uh, while you're walking through is is not focusing on. And for me, it's not focusing on that end goal. I know where I want to go, but right now we're that's, we're just praying for um, that guidance and, and that direction to take the right next step. Um, we're still taking the wrong ones. <laughs> that's that's the toughest part about it is that it's a it's a struggle, um, especially for me leading the family spiritually. Uh, you know, I'm I'm very novice at at that, and and it's it's uh, my responsibility to make the right decisions and and make decisions that would honor God. Um, loving step through Jesus instead of just apart and and, and separate from Jesus. That's that's a, a big a big struggle for me is to combine those and, and kind of reroute that um that emotion. Um and, you know, I I find myself still reverting back to, to my um my retreatism whenever I, I get overloaded I'll I'll just back off and, and I'll Start focusing on myself again, and and just like Seth, we we still struggle with um, remembering that in the tough times, you know, we need to we need to pray and 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 talk with God about about what our struggles are, and and during the the easy times to keep keep that up. Uh, it seems like on the opposite, during the easy times, I'll pray and I'll be all I'll be thankful and I'll, I'll love it, but in the tough times, it's like I shut back down and say, okay, I, I can get this done. Um, 
I don't need anything else. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm supposed to be the leader, and and I'm I'm going I'm working on that, and we we're working on on developing our household so that we can raise our daughter the same way. Um, it's like a old football coach of mine said: if, if you're gonna make a mistake, do it at 100 miles an hour. Um, you know, and that's what we're doing in this situation. Is if you know, we're just trying to take the next right step, and as long as we're both online with it and we're praying and, and we're doing what we're using those tools some somehow or in, in some form, I think we'll we'll end up in the right spot. So, thank you very much. Okay, Mr. Courtney, if you want to make your way uh, up here, you'll get a chance to hear from our friend, Mr. Courtney, and uh, I hope there's, you're so full of baloney, you know, I just, (laughs) such a good man, but do listen intently, Um, and can I ask you a favor? Yes, sir. You see that clock up there? Yes, sir. It doesn't work. Okay. So pay no attention to it whatsoever. We want to hear what's on your heart, okay? Thank you. Appreciate that. First thing I need to do is apologize to Mark and my wife. I interrupted Mark when he was trying to make an announcement, and uh, I embarrassed my wife for calling her 60 when it should have been 59. Would you look at your bulletins, please? The back page. And eight lines from the bottom on the right is the sentence that starts there. You got it? How you have, how you too were delivered out of the domain, I like to call it, kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The two kingdoms mentioned here, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. That's what I want to talk about this morning and giving my testimony. First, I became a Christian over 60 years ago. I was a student in college. And... Um, I was far from being a good person. I was raised in Arkansas. And some of the people that come from Arkansas are not too good. We had a president not too long ago. I think, I think you know who I'm talking about. Well, I wasn't too far. I didn't come become president, but uh, I'm not too far behind his actions. And... Um, I was living in the dominion and the kingdom of darkness. And if you want to see what that life is like, turn to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. I want to read some of the things there. That um, gives us a definition of what the kingdom of darkness is like. Chapter 5, starting at 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing, and the things like these. Now I know none of you have ever practiced these. And I've never lied either. Um, I have written a track for students. Now, back up just a minute. Uh, I want to say, first of all, I appreciate the messages that Todd has been giving on the book of Colossians. And uh, to go along with that, I've written a track for students. And it's entitled, Right or Wrong? One of the things he asked me to do was to tell my testimony, and I will do that. The second one was to tell what the difference is among the students of my day 
that is when I was young and today's students. I've worked with them all my life, with students all my life. And you, are, you may ask, how could you work with students? Well, I ask that same question. But I've written this, and I'm going to read you just a couple of things here. Maybe you can get a picture of what I think is the difference between that generation and this generation. Is it right or wrong to think relativistically about moral standards? Can you answer that? Is it right or wrong to think relativistically about moral standards? You know what? I've had a lot of students ask me, what does that mean? Students at Tech. I mean, Tech is not the lowest class university. Are some things right in one culture and wrong in another? Are some things wrong in all cultures? Is it wrong to hate another person in all cultures? Is it right or wrong to murder another person for food if you are starving? Is it right or wrong to steal to satisfy one's own greed? Is it right or wrong if both parties agree to have sex before marriage? Is it right or wrong to say that if there is a God, there must be a moral law to which all people are subjected? Is it right or wrong to say that Mohammed and Jesus Christ were prophets of God? Is it right or wrong to say that Jesus Christ and not Mohammed is God incarnate? Is it right or wrong to say that because Jesus Christ was God incarnate, he lived a perfect life on this earth? Is it right or wrong to say that because mankind is not perfect, he cannot keep God's moral law? Is it right or wrong to say that because God loves mankind, he gave his only son to die for their sin? Is it right or wrong to say that mankind has a choice to make as to his final destiny, heaven or hell? That's what I give to students. I had one say the other day, she glanced down and she said, I don't want that. I will go back to when I heard the gospel. My roommate and I had scholarships to go to college to play football. He claimed to be a Christian. I did not. I didn't want to know about God because what I had heard about God was he had rules and regulations for me to live by and I didn't like them. The police had enough of those for me. And... um I, I'll back up just a little bit. I was not the best guy on the block. And I was interested only in satisfying myself, getting all I could from society to benefit me, selfish as I could be, just like an animal. The animal thinks only about themselves. That's the way I was. My roommate was a professing Christian. Notice what I said, a professing Christian. He went to church. And um, he asked me to go to church with him on Sundays. And I said to him, Dub was his nickname. Dub should have been Dummy. But uh, Dub, you know I have no interest in church, no interest in God. I am not interested in going with you. Well, he kept on. So I said, okay, to get you off my bike, I'll go with you. Now, <laughs> in the meantime, we had dates with two girls. Now, he's a professing Christian. They had the money, they had the car, and everything that went with it. 
What boy wouldn't like that? Well, we went. Then, Sunday came. And I said to myself, why go to church? What's the use? But I went anyhow. That Sunday, the preacher gave a message that I could not believe. That was this. That there is a God in heaven who loved me, the lowest sinner on the block, so much that he gave his only begotten son for me to pay the price for my sins. I said, I can't believe it. He went on. That day, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart so strongly. When the invitation was given to come forward, and you can guess what kind of a church it was, giving an invitation to come forward. And, um, well, I went forward. Not only did I go forward, I ran. I used to be very good at 10-yard sprints. I sprinted up to that altar. I began to cry out to God for mercy. The church secretary, whom I knew shouldn't be where she was working, came to me, what's wrong, Dick? I just thought, you can't help me. That day, though, something happened to me. And you know what? It took a long time for me to get over what happened that night that we went out. And we had to go out of the county because it, like, it used to be dry like Lubbock used to be. It took me a long time to get over this. I knew something had happened to me. But I knew I had a flesh. And I didn't know what to do with it. I had no one to help me. No one to encourage. No one tell me what, to tell me what I needed to do. Because I didn't go to church. And um, it took me almost a year to learn what I had to do. What God expected of me and what I had to do. Now, would you look on, turn over to... Uh, Galatians chapter 5 again. And look at the verse 19. Chapter 5, 19. I read that. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Look at those. In being, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things live in the kingdom of darkness. I saw that there were two kingdoms. And I saw, really, that God had somehow, in his mercy, made a way for me to transfer from this kingdom to this one. But I couldn't do it. I didn't know how. I didn't know how to give up these things. I didn't know how to walk. But then, my high school superintendent at that time was the head of everything in the community there in this little town. And um, he used my friend and me to do his dirty work. And I can remember, we were at a National Guard camp one time, and somebody caught one of our members of our group and gave him a real beating. He said, boys, let's go get him. We got him. Now, that's the work of the kingdom of darkness. And I've got to learn how to live according to the kingdom 
of righteousness. How am I going to learn that? How am I going to get take my life and move it from here to here? I didn't know. But that superintendent was head of the draft board. The He always took my name from the top when it came up and put it to the bottom. Now, when I made this decision for Christ, I went home and told him. You know what happened? Mysteriously, my name automatically came to the top. He didn't want to hear any more about that. Well, I had to go to the military. I I heard some people say, don't go in the military. You can't be a Christian in there. Can't be a Christian? Am I one now? Look at their life. Is there any difference in my life? Well, I saw something about this time. The Spirit of God was so gracious to me. I saw that I had to get into this book. If I wanted to make any progress, I had to learn what God said. So I began to read. And I made a commitment to God. I will read every day. Well, that's good. But when, what, if you're in the military, when are you going to do, take the time to do it? And I'll just put this in here. When I went in, they drafted me to go in. They sent me to Japan. I fought with God. I argued with him about that. I didn't want to go to Japan. And I had, before the Navy could send me from San Francisco to Yokosuka, Japan, I had to fall on my face in a servicemen's center in San Francisco and stay there crying out to God until I came to the place. I cannot resist. I said, God, I will go to Japan where you want me to go. Two days later, I got my orders to go. I got to Yokosuka, Japan, and here they called me up to go into the admiral's office. And he and the captain said, you're the man we've been looking for. The first thought that came to my mind was, how did they know about my past? (laughs) See? Well, they were looking for someone who had been to college, didn't have a commission, to work with 60 teenagers. Do you know what a teenager is like? (laughs) They said, your job is this. Keep the girls from getting pregnant with the sailors. Keep the boys from the Japanese prostitute houses. We don't care what you have to do. Do your job. No parent can touch you. Now, if you have parents, parents, if you have teenagers, if somebody does something that you don't like to your teenager, what do you usually do? What do you want to do? You want to do something to take care of that. That's why they said, don't worry. No one can touch you. I didn't really know what they were talking. They were talking about until I took these kids on a camping trip, but we were camping in a hotel. And I had some boys in my room, my 10 or 12 of them. Well, these kids didn't know my background. They wanted to teach me a lesson. They jumped me. After I, I read my Bible that night when I turned my light out. They wanted to jump me. They did. They began to kick me, beat me. And I said, boys, you don't know. I said to myself, you don't know that I learned this principle, get before you get got. Do you know the meaning of that? Well, you know what? For three years, those boys never tried that again. (laughs) I had their attention. And uh, I, I say this to you because to show how God was so uh, gracious to me.
in leading me to Japan. And giving me an assignment that I never anticipated working with young people. That's been my job ever since. I came back to the States, went to Columbia Bible College, went to Japan. I met my wife in Japan. And the first thing, she didn't want to marry me because she was afraid to ask me. <laughs> what? <laughs> but uh, I, um, we went back to Japan, and my job was to teach English. And of all things, a person from Arkansas trying to teach English. <laughs> Well, I got a job at the university teaching English. And I made a commitment to them. You let me, you pay me for teaching my regular classes, but you give me a room after school so I can teach students English from the Bible. Okay. Now, I'll tell you about one man. A professor from one of the universities I was teaching at came to me, to my home, and wanted me to teach English. I said, fine, I'll be happy to, under this condition, the same thing that I used at the school. I will teach you one hour from the English textbook. I don't charge you a penny. But I will teach you 30 minutes from the Bible. I'm not interested in reading the Bible. I'm an atheist. I looked at him and I said, well, sir... If you're an atheist, it doesn't matter which book you read. <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought of that. So we began to read the Bible after our regular class. It took two years in the book of John for this man to learn who Jesus Christ was. Two years. At the end of two years, he came and he says, Mr. Courtney, now I know who Jesus Christ is. And I have trusted him as my Savior. He was quite a famous professor in Japan. And went on from there. And I could tell you story after story of students who came to know Christ. And one Student, we left Japan because God knows all things. And he saw that I had made a big mistake. I thought I had gotten pretty good at teaching English. I could handle the Japanese, no problem. And uh, one day God spoke to me and says, I'm finished with you in Japan. I didn't know what he meant. Well, it ended up we came to Mexico. And um, there was a young lady that spoke at our missions conference several years ago here. The same thing happened to this lady. She came to our English school. We had an English school because I was supposed to teach at Chihuahua University branch at, uh, at Juarez. Had a contract, and I saw in that contract, salary is this much. And a deduction is this much, down several lines later. I said, what's this for? They said, that goes to the head of the department. I said, you're telling me this is a bribe. I don't pay bribes. So we started our own English school there. And you know what? That was the best thing I ever did. Because people like Maria that came to our missions conference here to speak one time to give a testimony. Maria was a prostitute. She came to our English class with a businessman. Excuse me. And he paid her way. We charged one peso 
a month. You know what a peso was worth at that time? Eight cents. Because I did that because one professor told me, if you don't charge something here, the people won't think it's worth it. Okay, I said, I'll charge you one peso. So Maria came. And she stayed there about, I thought it was three. My wife said it had to be six weeks. She left. We never saw Maria again. One night we got a telephone call. My wife answered the phone and Maria said, Mrs. Courtney, yes, this is, and Maria interrupted her and says, you are Maria Antonieta Martinez. How did you know? <laughs> My wife said, I remember your voice. Now, Maria came to our house the next night for dinner. These were her words. I have never been able to forget what I learned in the Bible class, reading in English. She says, I want to know Jesus Christ. She went away a new person. And Maria has been one of the best missionaries in what is there is. Why am I telling these things? It's this. I want to get to that question. What's the difference in the societies of the young people today? And they were when I was growing up. It says, I've thought about this. This is one thing. When I was growing up, we knew it was wrong to do these things that Galatians verse 5.19 says. We knew it was wrong. But in today's society, as I worked with university students, and when we came to back up here a minute, when we came to Lubbock, we came here to retire. We got our home on 22nd Boston. We learned about the International Affairs Office. I went over there and volunteered. And we were there for three years, I think. And then they said I got too old to take students to drive, to drive to take students on trips. So I had already started a Bible class with some of the students, foreign students. And then I opened it up to others. And now all I work with about is American students. The difference is American students today don't know right from wrong. You know whose fault that is? Parents. Look at these questions on that list that I read here. Parents, right here in Lubbock, are guilty of every one of these. What do you expect of students? What do you expect of your children? I, I something today or this morning talking about divorce. And um, I thought, how many students, how many children's lives are broken? I know what it was. It's this thing up in Connecticut. I said, I'll bet you. When I first heard it, I'll bet you that boy's from a broken home. How many students, Christian, quote unquote, parents, one will leave or the other one. And take what you want to from it. But I am saying this, folks. The flesh will drive me to do things that will kill my children. So I leave this with parents and ask you to work out some of them, to answer them and examine your heart. I don't care what it is. 
And I just mentioned that divorce because that's so prevalent in our society with kids. Terrible. And um, these other things there. What about it? I will stop with this, but last week, no, two weeks ago, I had one of the worst temptations I have had. I was driving to Starbucks on crossing the university there, back from someplace, and driving along the road, my mind became so filled with horrible temptations, horrible thoughts, I could not figure out what this was, why. Finally, I just cried out in desperation, God, if you don't deliver me, how can I go to the coffee shop and talk to anybody? Before I got to the coffee shop, my mind was cleared. I got there. I put my books down on this table. It's a long table. Put my books down on this end of the table. There was a young woman, not a student, working, sitting on that end across the table from me. I got to my coffee, came back and sat down, and um, I introduced myself, started talking. And now, she told me some of her story. And it started with this. She was a divorced woman, businesswoman here in town. She got another job. She was riding back from Dallas. Her work was there and she um, talking to this fellow beside her, and he offered her a job. We got to talking about it. Then she started giving me this, and I do not say this to condemn or put down or anything, but she had learned a quote from a track that she used to give out to people. She was working with a certain Christian organization that it had in there to... That God has a wonderful plan for your life. And she kept quoting that phrase to me. Oh, God has a wonderful plan for my life. A wonderful plan for my life. Now, folks, that kind of bothered me. Finally, I thought, Kelly was her name. Kelly, you want me to tell you something? Yes, I said, God does have a wonderful plan for your life. But I'm afraid you don't know what it is. She said, well, what is it? He wants you to walk in righteousness. Galatians 2.20. Remember? We read it a while ago. No, we didn't. It's in the verses down below where we read. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, gentleness. I said, these verses before this, I'm afraid you've had too many of those experiences. So God's plan for your life is to walk in righteousness. And I said, I try to practice this every day and I still make many mistakes. Practice walking in righteousness. That's what this is about for those students. See? Walk in righteousness. Folks, that's the best I can give to the concept of becoming a Christian and the difference between the generations of students. And the responsibility that we as parents have with our children. And we as church leaders have with our children. Think about it, folks. Thank you. I'd like us to sing a song. But if it's too late, if it's too late we, we won't. Well, I think it's great that uh, every name has a story. And... What you've heard this morning are stories of redemption. And I just pray that uh, we continue as a church family to tell our story of God's work in our life to transform us um, for uh, the opportunity to exalt His name. And so let me pray.
and ask Leland and his family to come up. And then we're going to close together um, with uh, a song that we will end with. So, Leland, if you'll come forward and do our devotional. God, thanks for the time this morning. And it is uh, encouraging to hear your work in the lives of your people for the glory of your name. And uh, we pray, Father, that we might continue to encourage each other towards love and good deeds um, in a way that represents a life that has been changed by the work of your Spirit um, and that we would be perfected until the day uh, you come to take us home. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.